Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Well, hello, hello, everybody. It's Holden back here again with The Sober Unicorn. I hope everybody's having an absolutely incredible day. And if you're not, hopefully your day gets better. Don't hesitate to ever reach out to me or anybody um, that shares their social media on like, a podcast. So today we have another uh, Instagram guest um, that has reached out via Instagram. And crazy enough, they reached out about a year ago. But as many people know, Holden was going through some crazy shit at the time. So finally, we reached out, got got him on the podcast. So everybody, welcome Jason. Hello, Jason. Hey, Holden. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Pretty good. Um, thankfully, it's Friday, and I need this weekend. It has been a crazy busy week. Work's been crazy. Just life in general has been crazy, and I just need to relax a little bit. Well, hopefully, the weather is better where you're at than where I'm at right now. <laughs> funny, funny enough, uh, I'm I'm down visiting my dad in Delaware, and we had a tornado warning this morning, and we had to like move into a secure part of the house and all the kind of stuff, and it was it was pretty scary actually, but it's it seems to have been cleared up. So well, that's good. I know that's one huge reason I moved out of Texas was because of tornadoes, because I was hit by one probably like four years ago while driving. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah, it was very scary. And then Florida was crazy. I freaking moved to Florida. And like a month later, we have a flood and a tornado in another county right next door. Wow. And I'm like, the weather the weather patterns are just getting all kind of crazy over in the States. I Mother feel- Nature is pissed. <laughs> I will just say that. She is not happy with us right now. She is not. Not at all. Um, and I mean, the target Florida, I mean, I get it. Everybody hates Florida. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you kind of give everybody like kind of a, a little bit of backstory about yourself and, um, kind of what your addiction looked like before coming into recovery and then kind of coming into recovery. Yeah, sure. So I am Jason. I'm an alcoholic. I'm also a crystal meth addict and I am going to be sober for three years in six days on July 27th. And I never, ever thought that I would be able to say that because I couldn't get three days, let alone three years. And it's absolutely incredible to me to see who I am today and where I am today, because before it was pure chaos. And when I think about it, and I talk to other people in recovery, chaos was so comfortable to me. And uh, even growing up, I had a great life. I have my parents and two sisters, and I grew up going through private school, and we had this amazing little family, but I would always find the chaos in everything. And I see that now looking back over my life where I would like look for the chaos. And it was just incredible to me that now my life is really consistent. And at first I didn't know how to deal with that because now I have a routine. And at first I thought it would be boring and and terrible, but it's been amazing. And I've never really had it before. You know, I wasn't 
one to start drinking at an early age. And in fact, I didn't have my first drink until I was, I think, 18. And we were like my first real, real drink. I had sips of beer here and there, but it, like my first real drink was like at 18. I was that kid in high school that I played sports. I was in the theater. I was a, a altar server in church. I was like this perfect little like boy growing up, but I never really knew where to belong. And when I had that first drink, it felt like immediately I was there. I don't know where I was. I was actually in a field on a friend's farm drinking out of a keg because his parents bought it for all of the, the school classmates at the party. But like, I felt like I finally arrived somewhere and I will never forget that feeling. I'm, I don't remember the rest of the night because I blacked out the first time that I actually drank, but I felt like I finally belonged. And from that point on, I was immediately an alcoholic. I drank to get drunk. I didn't have an off switch. It carried into college where I became a fraternity boy and living in the house with these guys, access to booze and drugs all the time, you know, and that's when I first started to like explore my sexuality too. I always knew that I had this, this uh, attraction to, to guys and, you know, I had girlfriends and all that other kind of stuff too, but like I was suppressing all of that. And in college with my drinking, it, it all came out. I just started to go off the rails then and there. And in fact, you know, I was, I was in college and I wouldn't leave my fraternity house for two weeks. And my brothers had to break down the door to get me out of my room because I was so depressed. And I just was, the chaos in my head was just crazy. And that is what happened for the next number of years until I discovered drugs. And then that adventure happened and I had both alcohol and drugs in my life. And, you know, I was still trying to figure out like how to achieve things in my life while still remaining an active user of drugs and alcohol. And none of it was working out. Fast forward to my last run. I don't know how this is possible. I still don't know if it is possible, but the only thing that I remember, I only have two memories. I was in a six day blackout where the first thing I remember is I was laying on my couch drinking vodka out of a bottle that, you know, I, I could barely get up. I was so weak and emaciated that I could barely like lift my head to like drink out of the bottle. But I came out of this blackout where I was driving on the highway and I had this epiphany. I don't know if it's a, a God moment. I couldn't, I, I couldn't identify it as that in the moment, but it certainly was. And I was driving down the highway and an exit was coming up. And I said to myself, I said, Jason, you have two choices. The first choice is to take this exit, go back to the hotel or the bar or the whatever you want to go do. And you do it until you die or you drive straight, you go right home, and you get your ass into rehab. And I called my dad on the way home. Fortunately, I passed that exit. I started going home. I called my dad and I said, Dad, I need help. And I got home and I started detoxing. I went to rehab in three days after that. 
and that's what started my my recovery journey. I'm insane that you started detoxing yourself because if anybody's listening, detoxing of alcohol is very nasty and one of the most dangerous detoxes that you can go through by yourself. Um, I never ever recommend it. Um, I work in treatment and I tell people all the time, they're like, well, I'll stop drinking today. No girl, just, just wait till you come in the building and we can, we can help you through that just because it can be, it can be disgusting. So did you, through your recovery journey, did you suffer a relapse or did you, once you were done, you were done? Yeah. So that was the last time, but there were many, many times before that, that I, was either told by other people or by partners or by work or by family that you need to get help or there's going to be consequences. And I was a chronic relapser and I was a relapser for like 10 years from the time that I first met a 12 step program or met like what a solution could be to the time that I actually got into rehab was 10 years. And I would get a couple days, I would go out. I would get a couple hours, I would go out. I I remember distinctly, I was going to go get a 90-day chip, but I was also the type of person that I wasn't drinking, but I was doing drugs, but I wasn't in for doing drugs. So I could get a chip for 90 days. Like I, I was such a, a cheat and a liar that that seemed normal to me, but I could... I looking back on it, I did not have three or more days fully sober from all substances. And it was something that I just thought would be part of who I was for the rest of my life. I would clean up for a couple days and get the people off my back, cut them out of my life if they were asking too many questions, you know, or disappear for a little bit. And until everything seemed fine. But it was just this cycle of, again, chaos that I could not break out of. Yeah, I mean, I think chaos, um, I mean, speaking for at least you and I, because I heard you say you kind of enjoyed chaos. I know for me, anytime anything in my life starts to go into a normal routine and I'm starting to be like, okay, everything's cool, everything's cool, I purposefully will cause chaos in my life. Because I'm a horrible self-sabotager. A friend of mine, before she passed away, always told me that. She's like, all you do is sabotage yourself. She goes, whether it's yeah. a relationship, whether it's a job. She's like, you could have an incredible job. And then you're going to find something to be like, fuck this place and go AWOL. Um, so did you find like through, of course, say this last stage of recovery, once things started getting comfortable, how did you become comfortable being comfortable? It's a great question. And I totally agree with you. I, I was also the type of person that would love to dig myself into a hole, have the accomplishment of climbing out of it, then throw myself right back into that hole. Like that was that was my cycle. And whether it be work or friendships or, or family or partners or anything, that's that was how I lived my life. And so when I went to rehab, which by the way, I went to rehab willingly, but begrudgingly, because I told myself, if you ever have to go to rehab, that's it. You're an actual alcoholic. And so I went, but I went with the understanding that I needed to just listen. 
I love to talk my way out of situations, but I don't like to listen or I didn't like to listen. And so when I was in rehab, everything was uncomfortable. And what I loved most is that they put me into a structured day every single day for the four weeks that I was there, I did the same thing. And that became routine and that became comfortable. And it was incredibly uncomfortable afterwards because one, I had to build my own, but two, I, I didn't like it. It seemed boring. It seemed like I wasn't going to be able to live my life. And, you know, I was the type of guy that like would go to the bars almost every night or go to circuit parties and like all the like razzle dazzle of like the, the circuit life. And, you know, it, it seemed like I couldn't do any of that anymore, which meant I didn't have any friends anymore, which mean I didn't have a fun life anymore. But what I didn't realize is that I was living. And when I was actively using, I told myself that I would be dead at 40. And when I turned 40, it was like the best thing for me. And I was like, okay, you're still alive. So like, why not live life? It might not be fun and exciting all the time, but bitch, you're alive. So just enjoy it. And if it's a little bit boring, figure it out. So what I started to do was figure it out. And instead of like getting up, going to work, going to bed, getting up, going to work, going to bed, I started working out in the morning and I started a whole gym routine. I had never worked out before. I was like this skinny little twink that, you know, never had to like work out before. And then I started drinking and using drugs. And so I would balance my weight with that. When I got sober, I gained like 75 pounds. I didn't want to do anything until I started to put the gym into my routine because I had this perception that people would look at me differently. And that hurt my own perception of who I was. But I started to put that in and that became a new addition to my life. I started to look at other community events, right? So I would go to 12-step meetings, make friends there. I would start doing dodgeball and kickball and like all of these like fun activities with like gay people, which I never would get close to. Because my idea of having a gay friend was I want to have sex with you. And once I have sex with you, I'll either have sex with you again, or I will never talk to you again. And like, that was my idea of the gay community, which is so messed up. But I started to do these activities with other people. And that became a routine. So I built fun into my life. And now it's filled with activities that I love to do that I still have fun with, but it's consistent. So I know every Sunday I go to dodgeball and that's fun. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I don't know about dodgeball. I haven't played dodgeball since like high school with getting belted <laughs> by the ball, but um, you were discussing kind of the, um, the box that kind of people put you in and stuff like that. I mean, sir, well, hold on, let me backtrack a bit. So I think we feel this, the normal routine is boring because we're used to the chaos, the chaotic life, the drug life, the circuit parties. 
And um, when I was in active addiction, I was used to going to the bar every night, dart tournaments, this tournament, going to gay pride events, acting a fool. And now it's like, I look at the people that do that on a daily basis. And I'm like, girl, there's so (laughs) much more to do than go to the bar every night. There's art shows, there's movie premieres, there's um, like little coffee shops and restaurants and bistros in the city. And there's, when you take yourself away from that bar and the, the party life that I think we as gay people kind of like live in, mm-hmm. um, you realize how much more there is to offer culturally outside of that. Um, but you, you were a twink. I'm the total opposite of that. <laughs> I've, I've been a big person for my entire life and being in the community, they push this certain perception of you out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently started going to the gym myself as well. It's been like, I'm in week four going into week five of going to the gym and it just, yeah, thank you. And it just feels much better because the thing is I'm doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for a man. I'm not doing it to try to find a partner. Um, because being a big girl, you get some really fine ass chasers just saying, um, (laughs) so, but it's, it's me just doing it for myself. And I had to, in recovery, I had to learn that like that 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 thing of self-love okay self-acceptance mm-hmm. self-love I mean for one we had to accept that we're alcoholics or addicts and that takes a hot minute and then we have to accept that our life will forever be different than everybody else's because we can't go to the bar and have that one drink yep. we can't snort some cocaine on a weekend and then just be over it um like some people can which I'm sometimes jealous of Um, but so what was your kind of your self-discovery journey like um when it comes to self-acceptance and um finding that like person that inner person that was beyond the party scene yeah so it it took me a while it took me a lot longer than I ever thought it would because over the course of my life like I said, when when I was growing up, I was part of the jocks and I was part of the theater kids and I was part of the good kids that never drank or did anything. And I was part of the National Honor Society. And like, I was this quintessential chameleon. But what I found is that every time I joined a new group or changed who I was for the person in front of me, I added on this little layer of armor And so starting in rehab, I started to take that armor off and more and more and more. And I think it probably took like two years for me to really get who I really am. And I had to break down, you know, this, the own stereotypes and and kind of the own, the, the fear that I had because I want to be accepted and I want to be loved and I want to have fun with other people. And what I got though, was I have to love myself first. And I distinctly remember I was in rehab in a, you know, in a group setting with all these straight guys. And I was like, does anyone know how to love yourself? And I I was so afraid to ask that question because they were going to be like, okay, queen, you know, with with the mushy stuff but every single guy in there was like actually no and so we spent an entire hour in that group session talking about what it would look like to love ourselves 
And I am fortunate enough today to say that I do love myself because I'm just like you, I'm doing this for me as opposed to someone else, whether that be family or friends or partners or whomever. And I get to be myself. I get to be a little bit of a jock. I get to be a little bit of a queen. I get to be a little bit of whoever I want because that's who I am. And I can paint my nails and go to the gym at the same time because I want to. And I get to. And if you don't like it, fuck you. Right? Because that's what it's about. And it's really hard to do because we are so programmed to want other people to love us. And I, at the core of who I am, my core fear is that I'm not worthy. And that core fear ran my life for so long, probably up until the last six months. It, it ran my life. Now, over the last three years of me being sober, I have put in the work to put good people around me. I have an amazing partner who loves and accepts me for everything that I am and everything that I'm not. I have amazing actual friends. I have an awesome support system through my family. And I get to show up as me. And it's it's so freeing. It's It's really the most freeing I've ever felt. But being comfortable with being uncomfortable sucks. But you just have to do it. Because if you don't, you'll never learn who you are. Yes. Um, so talking about your partner, I think um, how long into your recovery journey did you find this partner? So we actually met probably 10 years before I started dating him. We met in uh, a 12-step program. And I, you know, went back out, you know, still like, oh, my God, this guy's so, so goddamn hot. And like, he's everything that I kind of want. Um, of course, my drug addict mind and my alcoholic mind, I was married at the time, but I was still fantasizing about him, like all of the all of the things was going on. But a year, I, I think I had maybe maybe eight months, we started, we reconnected on Instagram. And it wasn't until after my year that he asked me out on a date. And he's sober. He has, you know, over 10 years of sobriety. And I think that is um, something that really helps me in my recovery journey too. But I'm really glad that I waited. My, my sponsor isn't one to say, well, you know, you have to wait a year and you have to do these rules. He's, he's not like that. He's like, listen, you know yourself better. And, you know, all sponsors are different. Definitely listen to your sponsor if you have one. But he was like, you need to figure it out. And I'm kind of glad that he did that because I tried to date someone like three or four months sober. And I was like, um, I don't want to do this, but I don't know how to break up with him or tell him I don't want to see him because I was so immature, like mentally, physically, emotionally immature that I would just used to, you know, ghost guys or like be a super bitch so that he wouldn't stop. He would stop talking to me. But I had to learn how to say, you know, I need to put myself first and this is the right thing now. And so I learned small things like that until I was able to say, I can start dating. And 
something that I did was really lay out everything that I wanted and everything that I didn't want in a relationship to my partner now. And having that open communication has been the strongest pillar in our relationship. I think that's really good that you have a partner with that that's in recovery as well. Cause like the, the thing with people in recovery, I think we constantly evolve our, because we're discovering who we are um, that we lost in our addiction. And I think, I've lost friends that yes, I drank with them. And when I got sober, they were fine with it. And they'd be still hung out. But then as I evolved as a person, they were just like, I don't like this person anymore. I like the old Holden. And I'm like, but girl, the old Holden was hopped up on meth and hopped up on alcohol. So it's that, that was kind of my biggest fear is going into a relationship. And then over time becoming who I need to be as for myself. And then that person being like, well, I don't like this person anymore. But being in recovery as well, both you guys kind of understand the involvement of people mm-hmm. in recovery as you progress through the years of recovery and uh, sobriety and stuff. And so I think that's a, a huge benefit. I feel um, I tried to date somebody um, recently in recovery. Huge mistake. Because <laughs> even though we had like the same clean time, um, it was that person's first time in recovery. Um, I had been in recovery before and I suffered a relapse. So it's like, I'm not saying that I was any better than this person, but I think um, maturity wise within recovery, I had a little bit more backing mm-hmm. and I had to use that of like that discussion of, Hey, I think I need to take a step back, focus on my recovery. Cause I noticed how he would skip a meeting to want to hang out. And it's like, no girl, mm-hmm. Like you're struggling a lot. Like you need to go to the meeting. Like I don't ever want a relationship to jeopardize mine or somebody else's recovery. Um, Because I know men, at least for me, men was my weakness. Like my relapse, all three of my relapses surrounded men. Um, My meth use surrounded men. So I know that I could easily backtrack um, if I allow men to get in the way apparently i'm just weak in the um the, <laughs> the men aspect i'm like if they're no hot, no they're you're hot. not <laughs> it, they they are and it's it's not you know unusual right it, it goes back to acceptance and wanting to feel loved and wanting to feel accepted and you know in in my story i was literally in love with my drug dealer because we had sex three times instead of twice. And that was like the level of relationship that I knew at the time. And it just kept bringing me into the chaos and bringing me into this lifestyle and like, Oh, look at me. I, I have this thing and it wasn't real, you know? And it, it, it just goes back to like, I just wanted that connection. Mm Mm-hmm. That I wasn't getting. My drug dealer was a chubby chaser. And so it was very (laughs) nice because I don't have to pay for anything. But I was, (laughs) but like, I would feed into his, like, same thing. Like, I would use him to feel accepted and for the drugs. I would feed into him of like, I love you and I want to be with you. And it was crazy. I would be hitting the meth pipe while telling him that he needs to get sober off of heroin. Mm, And mm. I'm just like, but this, but I, for some reason, I just felt that I was more entitled to use meth than he was to use heroin. Where it's the same. Mm. I mean, it's a drug yep. nonetheless. Um, 
yeah no i've i've been in the, the slippery slopes of um dating the dealer and it's it's a fucking mess <laughs> yes it is yes it is completely completely so with the um how how long do you think it would say like in your recovery did it take for you to like finally look at yourself in the mirror and be like i love you oh gosh um I, I really did the work and I really made that my number one priority when I went to rehab. And I would say it started to not be awkward when I would say it into a mirror or say it in a meeting. I love myself after about like maybe like four or five, six months. But it truly... I'm still working on it, right? I have these things about me that I don't love. And I feel like maybe is that not acceptance or is that I accept it where I'm at, but I still get to work on it, you know? Um, I have crazy body dysmorphia. I have lost those 70 pounds and I am in the best physical shape of my life. But I look into a mirror and I sometimes still say disgusting, but it's not true. And I have to constantly remind myself of like, no, you love yourself. You accept yourself. You've come so far and you might still have a ways to go, but you're great right now. And that has to be my mantra. And it's, it's still a learning journey, right? Just like recovery is every day. Loving yourself is every day. Because the days that I don't love myself, I get down, I get depressed, or I get super anxious or super, uh, super focused on like finding that chaos again. And it's, it takes me out of like my serenity. And so I have to remind myself, what do you love about yourself? My therapist says this all the time. She's like, what are you proud of yourself for? And at first I was like, I'm not six. Like... And then she's like, no, but, but tell me, what are you proud of? And I was like, gosh, I can't actually answer that question. She's like, okay, let's look at it. You are X months sober at that point. You are, you know, X number of days in your new job. You are starting new routines. Like, and so I had to look at it just like a gratitude list. When I was doing gratitude lists, like I remember one of my sponsors, he, he was like, send me a gratitude list. And I was like, I love my BMW and I love my townhouse and I love my this and that and the other thing. And he was like, this is all bullshit. He was like, don't send me this shit. He was like, this is nonsense. This is all like, you know, stuff that you might have, but like, you're not really grateful for it. He was like, be grateful for the electricity that's running through your house. Be, be grateful for the fact that you woke up this morning. And he reframed my idea of gratitude to like the small things. Like, for instance, I'm doing this episode from my father's house today. When I was actively using, I was not welcome here. And just to be able to be here and for him to even leave to go to the grocery store and leave me alone in his house is a huge, huge piece of gratitude. And I just have to keep reminding myself that I am grateful for things. And I have to continue that with, I do love myself and I am great with where I'm at. And regardless if I need to go forward, I'm awesome with where I'm at. 
that's the one thing I had to learn um, was, yes, even though we're always going to be motivated to do better and want to strive to do better in our lives, you have to be content with what you have and not um, envy what other people have. Because mm-hmm. the th- like me, um, somebody today, actually, they were trying to talk to me on the, the dating apps, of course. And they were just like, well, I'm just not where I need to be in my life. And I'm just at my lowest point. I said, you have a job. You have a car. You have a roof over your head. You have food mm-hmm. in your stomach. Like, yes. Do you want to have a better car, better this? Of course. But like, there's people that look at you and yep. wish that they could have that. Um, like me, I'm I'm in a halfway uh, sober living house. I did it purposefully for to hold myself accountable moving to Florida. Mm-hmm. But it's like, even though I'm living with roommates, people wish that they could be in this type of position. Mm. There's people that are living in homeless shelters at, um, oh my God, what is it called? Salvation Army with the sober um, men's section. And it's like those people in there are living with 40 men in the same room. And they're like, dang, I wish I had the money just to move it to halfway with one roommate. And so I have a new car. And that's the thing. It's like, I moved to Florida. Like I chose to move here in the middle of a fucking relapse, like two Mm. weeks before moving. And I just loaded my car and started driving. Like Mm. I was withdrawing on my way to Florida and I've been here going on eight months. um, And it's been incredible. I went a month and a half without work. Somebody recommended a job to me. It's been an amazing job. Like I've been able to stand on my own two feet, not having to miss bills. I can feed myself. And it's like, yes. Do I want to work hard to progress where I'm at and to do better? Of course. But like, I'm okay. Yeah. I, I haven't had a run home to Texas and be like, ooh, can I stay with you, brother? Because I got nowhere else to go. Like, I can make my own decisions nowadays, um, which is huge. So, I mean, being grateful from where I'm at, being content as well from where I'm at um, has been a huge, huge um, thing in my recovery, um, especially so, well, self-love too, to a point. Um, and I think that's where the gym came in, where it's like, being a bigger person, like I said, Chevy Chasers, um, it's like I've always felt that I've remained fat because mm. I can gain this type of relationship. Um, because years ago I lost uh, over a hundred pounds and I was like right at 200 pounds, but I was like still a little too thick for somebody that wanted somebody average, but I was too skinny for somebody that wanted a fat guy. Mm. And so, like, I always told myself, Well, I'll just stay fat because then I can get a Chevy Chaser, and then now it's like five years later being single i'm like wait why am i staying unhealthy from like Mm. for somebody else why am i like gonna hate on myself or whatever to appease this other person in hopes to find a relationship so i was like go to the gym do what you want to do and when the relationship is meant to happen it'll happen with somebody that'll accept me at any body type Mm -hmm. and won't care whether i lose or gain the weight and somebody that's not going to base their only attraction to me off of how fat I am. Yep. Um, yes, everybody has a preference. I'm not going to dog anybody for having a body. Everybody body. does. But like, there are certain people that have talked to me on, it recently happened that uh, they were like, oh, how's your day? And I'm like, oh, it's good. I'm about to get ready to go to the gym. They're like, oh, you're going to the gym? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, I don't date fat guys. I go to the gym. And I'm uh-huh. like, Okay, so being healthy and wanting to live a longer life is a bad thing. Like, wow. here nor there. I can't judge them for what they like. Just like yep. people, I hope that they don't judge me for being an ex-math addict and alcoholic. So, 
Exactly. And, you know, the, the thing with that is it's so easy for you to take that and things of like that have been said to me too. And it's so easy for us to take that and make it mean something about us. And, and it's really hard for us to flip that and say, that's not about me. That's about you. And go with God because I don't want to be around this. It's it's really difficult, but it has nothing to do with who you are and what you're up to. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm doing this so I could be healthier, travel. I, I love traveling. Um, and just to just feel better in my own skin. I mean, whether I stay thickums or whether I get buffed out, it, that's beside the point. It's about just being healthy and just like being comfortable uh, again like loving myself yeah. and just for my health and make sure that i'm here on this planet earth as long as god wants me to be here until i hopefully die in a tragic accident overseas <laughs> <laughs> so what would you before we end um what would you tell the lgbtq plus ia individual that um may be suffering today that i love you that even though I don't know you, I love you because I understand you. And even though you might not think that no one's there for you, you have so many people who are willing to put out their hand for you and you do matter. And it might be hard right now, but it won't be hard forever. So keep going and you will get to where you wanna be. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining us today. I'm I'm thankful for taking your time out and that you did not get hit by a tornado today. I appreciate that. I do. I would not have liked that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at the Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober owned. And remember everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn.